Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. Oh, <laughs> dramatic. This is episode 39, and we're reviewing My Hero Academia Season 5, Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. Let's talk Netflix anime announcements because Netflix just came out with, I don't know, some announcement where they confirmed a couple of projects in the work. Um, and it I was have... part of their Netflix geeked week. What the hell is that? I think it was just like a week long thing where they announced all this pop culture media and series coming to the platform. Because um, I know they announced like The Witcher season two. And then a little more information on the live action Cowboy Bebop, which I know everyone's excited for. Oh boy. But yeah, I think included in that was a slew of um, anime announcements as well. So I'm reading off um, off some article here, just some of the things that they announced. Um, Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway. Um, I'm not current on anything Gundam, so I don't know like the significance of Hathaway. It just makes me think of Anne Hathaway, but that's that's a project. Shaman King's already in the works. Um, Eden Zero, Exception, which just from the the visual that they put out looks interesting, and then Bright Samurai Soul, and Make My Day, oh, and Godzilla. So there's a couple of things that they're they're coming out with. Um, not a lot of information on most of these, but I don't know how I feel. Like I, I just don't know how I feel about it. And I know this has been Netflix's thing for a while. They've been, they've made it very clear that they intend to really get into the anime game and put out more Netflix. I don't know if you call them like Netflix original anime or just Netflix produced anime, but they want to be in the anime industry. Yeah, I mean, prior to these announcements, they already had a couple like anime under like the Netflix banner. Last year you had, maybe not last year, um, two years ago it was Carol on Tuesday. Or last year we had Great Pretender this year. We have the house husband, which kind of fell on the lower side of the spectrum. Yeah, so like that that's and that's kind of why I'm I'm hesitant, right? Because you're right, there there was Carol on Tuesday and Great Pretender, which were good, but they weren't great. Um and I hear Castlevania is good, so that that's that's good to hear, although I've never watched it. And also is that is that considered an anime? So I know Wikipedia, not that it's a really reliable source, but they refer to it as an anime influence series so i don't know if you i mean we could have a whole discussion on what categorizes something as an anime um although i I would say a majority of people would consider an anime um and it is getting rave reviews but that's like one diamond in the rough that is like netflix's original anime content yeah and i'm not seeing it here on my anime list so i'm gonna assume it's technically not anime but i do hear that it's good but but the reason i'm hesitant right is because i feel like netflix needs to chill a little bit instead of pumping out a bunch of like mediocre short anime like they have been i feel like maybe they need to to take a step back and understand the anime industry and the community a bit better and invest that energy into like a few solid productions like a castlevania but more anime right um Mm -hmm. or like a carol on tuesday and like a great pretender because they have the power and resources to make some great shit they're just not hitting the mark i think maybe they're a bit overzealous about getting into the anime game they probably feel like we need to just produce a bunch of shit so that we have a catalog of netflix quote-unquote affiliated anime um and then maybe down the road invest in more like solid stuff 
So like I'm intrigued by this anime announcement, but I'm just worried that they'll disappoint. To your point earlier, Yasuke and Way of the House Husband had mad hype around them. I mean, you had the fans ready to watch. There was no problem with getting viewers, but then they fucking flopped. They flopped hard. And I think those were both um, also short productions. So I don't know. Like I, I, I want to believe in Netflix and I'm, I'm down for Netflix to, to get in the anime game, but I just don't feel like they're going about it the right way. Like they're just more, they're more concerned with just having anime than like making some good stuff. I think you also see that just in the um, mainstream series that they produce, like a lot of the live action stuff. And I believe it's just part of Netflix's marketing strategy to just throw out a bunch of um, newly released streaming titles out there and just to see what what's a hit and what's a miss. Yeah, like casting a wide net or something. Yeah. And, you know, like I've heard of, I've read articles and seen videos of people and read um, comments on the internet from people who say like they don't really like this marketing strategy strategy because while some shows might have a very strong fan base netflix kind of views like the ratings differently from traditional media where like they kind of watch who who stays invested in a show for like a certain amount of time like or even like episode by episode and from there they'll they'll kind of figure out what gets the axe and what doesn't. Although I know Way of the House Husband um, did get a season two announced, but... Well, the, I'm sure it's easy to announce season two when like you have like five frames a minute and yeah. you don't have to invest a lot in, into actually making this one. Mm -hmm. But I guess in terms of their anime content, it seems so far that it's been more so quality over... Or no, sorry. It's been more so quantity over quality. Yeah, 100%. So we'll see what comes out of this. I mean, some of these things have piqued my interest. I probably will watch, um, although I may take a look at the mal ratings before I really invest the time because, as we saw with Yasuke, before you even ended up watching it, we, we knew from... Because I think they, they, like, released all the episodes at once. We saw the ratings. It, like, tanked immediately. And so I knew it wasn't going to be something I was going to invest my time in. You still watched it, and I think... I think you, you kind of confirmed that based on your experience, that mal rating is pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that's that's probably going to be the way I approach Netflix anime until they actually start putting out some really good stuff. So I guess it's not Netflix and chill anymore. It's Netflix, please chill. <laughs> wow. I like that. I like mm -hmm. that. But moving on to the meat of this podcast episode's arc, let's go ahead and jump right into My Hero Academia Season 5, Part 1, which was essentially a tournament arc. <laughs> Another tournament arc, guys. <laughs> but I guess it, it's nice because, as I mentioned in um, our spring preview episode, uh, Strictly Anime has come back to its roots in discussing the anime series that basically started it all for this podcast. Yeah, if you haven't ventured to our early episodes, um, listen or be warned because that was uh, it was a very amateur time for us when we had um, you know low quality equipment and we were recording in a closet, so the sound may be uh, less rich Rough. <laughs> than it is now, but still definitely worth it to to venture back to those uh, episodes. But anyway. Our first episode was our review on the My Hero second movie, um, Heroes Rising. Yeah. Which was a great movie, fun to talk about. But we felt like that was a good starting point for us um, because 
My Hero was in the middle of a season as well. There's a lot of hype around it. And we're like, why not? Why not talk about My Hero as a way to kick off our podcast? Mm -hmm. And I know early on we had done episodic reviews from whatever point in season four we had started doing the podcast. Um, Obviously, for this one, as we followed with previous episode formats, we'll be discussing season the first half of season five as a whole but yeah i guess it, it's kind of nice kind of nostalgic that we are coming back to reviewing uh, my hero academia and i know the show has also recently celebrated a huge milestone because it released its 100th episode as of this past weekend yup it's kind of crazy five seasons into my hero and as we mentioned in the spring 2021 anime first impressions we're still not even halfway through the first year mm-hmm. of class 1A's like hero course or it's, whatever. It's a like a blessing and a curse for the show to have reached this many episodes. Yeah, we're just now getting to winter. Like the the uh, characters have have changed to their winter outfits and uh, I think in the latter half of this episode 12, which is the most recent episode, um it started snowing. So like, you know, seasons are changing, times moving forward just at a but snow how, space. Yeah, how fast. <laughs> and to give you context, like Courtney said, this all takes place within the first school year, like these first five seasons. Season one aired in twenty sixteen. That's Jeez. five years of us within this first year of superhero high school and we don't read the manga as you know surprise surprise so we don't know like how things progress you know moving forward i i mean i this feels like it would be a really long anime if you're dedicating five seasons to one half of a school year Mm -hmm. um but i don't know i don't know what the overall plan is for my hero there's been those rumors that the manga will be wrapping up relatively soon maybe um so my guess is maybe there's like a time skip or something because i can't imagine ending the the story while they're still in school because midoriya keeps telling us this is the story of how he became the the greatest hero (laughs) so i mean at some point he's got to be in a a pro hero right (laughs) yeah i would say like the the demographic for this show like we can't wait another 30 years if, (laughs) if we still go at this pace to find out how Midoriya became the number one hero. And again, you've got like fucking One Piece that, I don't know, it's like uh, yeah. 65,000 episodes in and they, I don't know, they're still on like the first arc of something. I have no clue. I don't watch One actually, Piece. Actually, one of our friends was saying like it, it seems like it's starting to wrap up because they've actually reached the point. Again, I don't watch One Where Piece. Where they're looking for the One Piece? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever the overarching plot of that show is. But yeah, I feel like hopefully like my hero doesn't go that path where it's again twenty plus years of of episodes. Yeah, like it's it's great to have a lot of content for a show you really like, but at at what point does it become like I don't know, like too much content? Like at what point do you just say like I'm ready to see the end of the show? I'm mm-hmm. ready to get the conclusion of the story and, and move on with my life. I'm enjoying my hero. Um, I would say it's not hitting me in these last two seasons as hard as it hit me in like the first two seasons. Um, but it's still really enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. I'm having a great time with it. For me, and I think I'm more of a cautious optimist when it comes to watching um, new shows or new seasons. Um, like this season of My Hero is good, but, you know, with us being five seasons in and I feel like not a, like a lot has happened. But, but not a lot has happened. <laughs> my, my classic uh, catchphrase. Yeah, but... Like, I guess content-wise, 
I, it's hard to say if in this season we're getting anything really new because I feel like, as I we alluded to earlier, this is another tournament arc and it just feels like a filler arc or a rehash of the original tournament arc that we saw um, just peppered in with a little bit of plot development, especially in regards to like the mysterious nature of One for All. And I get it, like season four, that was a huge arc when it came to um, Eri-chan and the whole Shie, was it Shie Hasaikai? Like the Yakuza um, uh, sure. criminal or Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like they want to take a breather from having such an intense emotional arc with going into season five. But, you know, after watching these 12 episodes, like I, the thing I asked was like, what real purpose does this arc serve outside of showcasing yeah you know class 1a's and 1b's students have really developed their quirks yeah the whole goal is is shinzo shinzo gonna get into the hero course yeah which by episode 12 which is so just for context our part one review will be um from episodes 1 to 12 for season 5 um because i think my anime list says that my hero is supposed to have a total of 25 episodes so just following how things normally go in My Hero, I think episode 13 will be my like the start of the second half of the season. We'll see when the, the mm-hmm. OP and ED switch, um, but we, we figured this would be a good um, stopping point for us to talk about the first half. So anyway, um, by episode 12, we already find out that, yes, he gets accepted into the hero course. They just don't know if he's going to be in class A, a or B. Yeah. So, okay, like that was the goal, but that was a very like long journey to get mm-hmm. to that goal. And it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed it, but I didn't need it. And if you tuned into our spring 2021 anime first impressions episode, you've already heard me say this, but I just don't know or um, care enough about the non main characters of class 1A and then all of class 1B to be invested enough in this tournament arc. It was cool to see those characters like hear more about their their quirks and how they've developed and and grown each episode as we'll kind of talk about when we get to those episodes focuses on like two of the the characters on each team so that you get a little more character development for those people but like i just i don't care because i I don't know enough about them to be invested like i said and it's just too many characters like i'm here to watch midoriya todoroki and bakugo that's who i want to come that's why i want to see every week when i come you know see this show but i I don't know. I just I can't get behind everybody else. Like it was cool. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't regret watching it, but I didn't need it at the same time. And there's a fuck ton of characters. Yeah, to the point like... where they feel the need to like show us their names and their quirks mm-hmm. every episode, including the characters that we know. Like I know who Midoriya is, and I know what One for All is. Yeah, I mean it's nice to have those reminders. And full disclosure, we had originally watched this on Hulu before switching to Crunchyroll, and. Hulu has like the subtitles for what characters are speaking, but they never translated any of those little blurbs about um, any of the students' names or their quirks. So thankfully, Crunchyroll, um, they they translate that as well along with the, the dialogue. But sometimes it's just hard <laughs> to read everything on screen, like getting a reminder of like who this 1B student is while trying to read the dialogue that's accompanying them. 
Yeah, and I find myself way more interested in the breadcrumbs that we're getting about the other overarching plot points. The breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah, the breadcrumbs. <laughs> if you if you listen to, um, if you stick around past our closer for each episode, we sometimes have bloopers at the very, very end of each episode. Um, and our Code Geass one, I had a, a faux pas where I, I said breadcrumbs instead of breadcrumbs. So anyway, yeah. Hopefully I don't do that again. <laughs> so they it works leave... both ways. They spill in breadcrumbs. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so they leave us these little breadcrumbs about these things with Endeavor and, and what's going on with Hawks and what's going on with All for One. Or no, I'm sorry, One for All. Mm-hmm. And I guess All for yeah. One too to a certain degree. Um, and I that's what I'm interested in. Like I, I hope the next half of the season is going to be about – like I my bet is it's going to be about Endeavor and Todoroki. It mm. seems like they're kind of building up to that. Like, it's going to be about One for All, but it's also going to be about Endeavor and Todoroki is my guess. Plus, we have the movie coming out, um, World Heroes Mission, where yeah. I think the three, the main three go work for Endeavor's agency, I think is the plot. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's the direction it's probably going to head. But I hope so, because I, I want to see more of that. I'm really, really interested in that stuff. Less interested in seeing the mushroom girl and her put mushrooms everywhere. Yeah. Um, and even just... I'm quickly going through my notes here. So, first two episodes, that's where we get significant plot development with, um, again, one for all, like how Midoriya is seeing these visions um, related to the quirk, um, Hawks trying to infiltrate the League of Villains, and then after that, it's just eight episodes of just straight tournament. And then episode 10, you get a peppering in um, of a little bit more plot, but then you just jump right back into the tournament. So it, it's very inconsistent um, with, you know, getting to these major plot points um, while, again, viewing this tournament. But I feel like, yeah, the second half is going to focus more on, on the meat of this season's story. Well, let's get into it. Let's let's dive into these episodes and, and talk about um, kind of the, the breakdown of these, these matches. Because I think there's four in total five five in total and i think most of them get one or two episodes dedicated to them so we'll have time to kind of break them down yeah so to start us off my hero academia is the anime adaptation of a japanese superhero manga series written and illustrated by kohei horikoshi following high school student slash future number one hero midoriya izuku as he studies at a prestigious high school for heroes in training the fifth season of the my hero academia anime series was produced by bones and directed by Kenji Nagasaki, following the story of the original manga starting from the 21st volume. So in episode 1, All Hands on Deck, Class 1A, in a semi-recap episode fitting of any anime season premiere, Class 1A runs through a villain simulation where they face off against two of the big three, Nijiri and Amajiki, while PK Mirio plays their damsel in distress. Elsewhere, Endeavor recovers from his injuries and reflects on his season finale battle against the flying Nomu Nomu, while number two hero Hawks has a secret meeting with League of Villains member Dabi in the most cliche of abandoned warehouses. So I think, just right off the bat, if you want to just talk about the OP and ED, the OP, uh, the song is number one by Dish, and Dish I, slash slash, right? Oh, I think. Is that okay? Now I have to look it up. I just see on Wikipedia it's just oh wait yeah dish or stylized as dish slash slash. I just so. remember seeing that pop up on your Spotify and I was like wait dish 
slash slash was that a typo or but i guess i think it's it's intentional i don't know where these japanese artists or bands come up with these names <laughs> like they want to sound provocative or something <laughs> um but uh to comment on the song itself it, it does slap um and yes it's on my anime spotify playlist visuals wise it's just yeah and i said this with code kiosk i think if you were to take all the openings and line them all together, I couldn't tell you which opening was for which like season or half of the season. Same thing here. Like I get that now you have um, the the students in their winter outfits, but honestly, it just this just reminds me of any other My Hero opening. Like it's that homogenous. Yeah, I agree. So the song is pretty chill. Um, I wouldn't say I like I'm obsessed with it, but I don't dislike it either. I, I enjoy it. Um, like it's just it's not a banger, but it's a, it's a good song. Um, visuals, I agree. I think it's just a standard shonen anime opening. Mm-hmm. And it's just a standard My Hero Academia opening. The only opening I have ever really loved in My Hero is, I think, the one for Season 2's tournament arc, I think. And it's um, Peace Sign. Or no, not Peace Sign. Is it Peace Sign? Which one's the one? Like? The stretching one. Yeah. That's Peace Sign? Okay. So, yeah. So, Peace Sign, where the characters are stretching it like opens up with i don't know who it is but everyone's stretching and then towards the end of the opening they're kind of doing some of their moves or whatever and i just think the way it's like like stylistically i think it's like the the coolest my hero opening but it's not exciting right like they're just fucking stretching but Mm -hmm. there's just like this like for example there's this one shot of todoroki at the end of that opening where he just kind of like like pushes forward and he looks so badass and i just thought that was a very well done opening and you don't need all of like these flashy crazy like group shots and moves and stuff and then fighting all the time to have a good opening and that's a great example of that it's just everyone fucking stretching but i think it's so well done (laughs) i mean it's that one in particular is just significantly different and unique from the other ones because it's them stretching and yeah it's the tournament arc um whereas everything else is just the students in their hero outfits and they're just using their quirks and like blasting everything to kingdom come or whatever yeah that's the same thing here um so i'll just leave it at that and the ed um the song is ashiato by the peggies which is another my banger academia it is a fucking banger it slaps i mean anything the peggies do it always slaps yeah i mean they're they've been killing it with their anime song selection i know i only know there's the two songs there's this one and then the opening for Rent a Rent Girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. I love that song so much. It's a fantastic opening, and it's all because of the, the Peggies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one too is just is great. And I like visuals of this one, it's a little bit nicer than the OP. Um, just the students going about their day and shopping for groceries. I just love the one shot of Aoyama. I think he's holding up a pastry. He has like a shining light on him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just being fabulous as yeah. always. Um, and then you have little nods to, you know, the, the branded merchandise, um, for like, I think the chips had all might on them and fat gum that Momo was and endeavor at. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think this is a great ending. I mean, song aside, it's more stylized than some of the other endings that we've gotten. And it's just kind of fun to see the, um, the students like class one, a in their everyday situations. And this is very much that got like the girls hanging out and bakugo you know shopping for hot sauce and stuff and i feel like my hero does eds much better visually they do eds much better than they do ops because their ops as we mentioned are, are always just so standard shown in anime opening openings mm-hmm. but their eds are cool like the 
I don't know if it was the first or second one for season four where they had just the shots. It was like a bulletin board with pictures of the pro heroes back when they were at UA. So you got like Hawks as a kid. You oh, got yeah. That um, was last season, I think. Yeah. You got um, Mirko um, when she was younger playing volleyball, I think. That was really cool. I really liked seeing that. And then, there, of course, there's that shot of like the, the class 1A students. I think this is the same ending. Where it's like, um, it's just like squares of each of them sleeping. Like they're all just kind of like laying in bed or just like mm-hmm. hanging out in the room at night. And you've got that one shot of Mirio screaming in the dark because it's, it's the same season where he lost his quirk and, you know, um, the it's like the PTSD. Yeah, the PTSD of all of it. And I'm like, damn. Like that's those little things make it such like, make their endings very good. I think this is the same way here. You just got like those small nods to each of the characters, like Bakugo buying hot sauce. Like that just makes sense. And then you've got Mineta holding some like nudie mags or something like <laughs> yeah. that just makes sense for that character. So I enjoy the ED um, definitely much more than the OP for this season for the, this half of the season. Mm. I think the best part about this first episode is my boy Mirio. I know it's, it. It, I mean, it, he's just, it's, it's him being Mirio for like a minute and a half. And that's all I could ask for. <laughs> he's just silly and funny and I adore him. He's my second favorite character in my hero. And, I mean, he's just being goofy. Like, I love that they give him a, a purpose still at UA. Like, they haven't just kind of thrown him away because he lost his quirk. He's helping Eddie Chan. He's helping the students um, by being a civilian and stuff. And he's living his best life just swimming down this river. <laughs> you just get his mm-hmm. head, like, floating and, like, sw- like swirling around in this river as people are trying to save him. Yeah, it's just like, oh, he, he says, like, oh, no, looks like I'm floating away. And I know at one point... I forgot which students had rescued. I know like Froppy was one of them, but like he's standing on the bridge and then he dives just to to have, you know, his simulated damsel in distress yeah. <laughs> need um, rescuing again. I think it was a solid first episode. It wasn't like anything crazy or standout, um, but it was a decent way to kind of quickly showcase each 1A student and kind of everyone's quirks. Um I guess in preparation, it was a nice reminder in preparation for the rest of this tournament arc where we're going to see more of their quirks. Um, But this time it's different because we actually get to see them in action um, versus just being told what their quirks are. And they all kind of got to use their quirks in like a roll call style. And I I noticed that Bakugo's hero name is still undecided. And I was like, that's great. Because I think he tried (laughs) to make it like Lord Murder Explosion or something. Mm -hmm. And yeah, obviously that didn't didn't fly with the faculty. I I think... Bakugo, just his name itself is just a, a terrific hero name. Like Deku? Or like, I know his, <laughs> yeah, um, Midoriya's nickname for him is like Kachan. I doubt he would use that. Um, but I also like with, with Bakugo, like he's the, out of the students, he's the one that just takes this simulation way too seriously. Yeah. Um, and if you remember, like he has this explosion at the end that leaves everyone dazed and they have like really frizzy hair because of all the exposure to the heat and then um aizawa sends him to the faculty room (laughs) um you know for just being so brash about the simulation a little part of me wanted to see that scene of him you know at the principal's office essentially but i think it was just like a funny little little humorous part Mm -hmm. um the only other thing i wanted to comment on with this episode is uh i know like midoriya has a confrontation with amajiki who is sun eater and you see, like, Midoriya's constantly been kind of limiting his use or, like, the power that he uses behind his smash move or, like, one for Hall. And uh, Amajiki kind of scolds him for not, like, following through with his attack. Um, 
But I think there's this just weird dichotomy with within like how Midoriya is using One for All. He has like the past, I want to say, two or three seasons, he's been trying to learn how to limit his power. But then within this tournament arc, we'll also learn that he needs to learn how to actually unleash its fullest potential because it's starting to like bottle up this massive amount of energy within him. Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't think about that. And even by like the end of this first half of the season, he says like I locked away this new quirk, which we'll talk about, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know how to use it. And now he needs Bakugo to try and like pull that quirk back out of him because you can't understand something unless you experience it. So if you lock it away, you'll never have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess there was just one other thing that I noted in the post credit scene for this episode. Uh, there's shots of. I think flashbacks of Endeavor's fight with the Nomu and Endeavor, I think is trying to find a way to differentiate himself from All Might. So I think one of the easiest ways to do so is like All Might had raised his left hand in his final fight. Um, and Endeavor raises his right hand this time. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, what a, what a difference. <laughs> Moving on to episode Two vestiges, vestiges. I thought it's pronounced vestiges. I don't know, guys. (laughs) This is kind of like the from Strictly Jojo, carotid, carotid. Oh uh, yeah. (laughs) But anyways, episode two. After a brief flashback, wherein the rabbit hero Mirko saves Hawks and Endeavor from Dabby, Dabby, Dabby. Here it goes again. Uh, Shortly after the Nomu fight, Hawks and Dabby discuss their forthcoming schemes against Hero Society. Although Hawks' real intention is to take down the League of Villains from within. Endeavor reflects on how much of a shit dad he is and tries to atone with his family. And Midoriya once again dreams about one for all's creation and its original wielder. Endeavor has a scar, just like his son, the irony. Mm-hmm. Which I think we, I mean, we all kind of called out in the last season, but I think it's, it's like made very like blatant in this, this episode. Um, the kind of like focus in on his scar and then Todoroki's scar. And I did like how in Hawks' flashback, he has like the little Endeavor doll, I think. Or yeah. they, they, they clarify that Endeavor was his favorite hero, which I think is so cute. And it makes sense why Hawks is so willing to work with Endeavor. And um, I, I'm just curious to know like when Endeavor finds that out. Hopefully he does find it out at some point. Like I, I'm sure that'll that'll kind of be a great feeling because you've got everyone else in the world saying like All Might's their favorite hero. So to know that somebody who you probably are fucking annoyed with because Hawks' personality definitely clashes with Endeavor's, mm-hmm. um, finding out that, that that's his favorite hero. Um, I think that'd be a really cool conversation to watch. Yeah, and I think the whole thing with Endeavor having that same scar as uh, Todoroki's is a little bit of like uh, karma for him. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what happens in this episode is, again, I think with him trying to learn like what it means to be the number one hero. And I think he even asks himself um, in this episode, like, what does it mean to be strong? Um, it's with with starting with himself, like trying to, you know, forgive for his, like forgive himself for his past sins, and again approach his family and showing that he genuinely wants to um, have a, 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 a stronger emotional connection with them. Although obviously they're not receptive of that at first, um, but yeah. I think Endeavor is good character writing. He's an example of that because he starts off as like this annoying dad who just cares about power, right? And like screams Shoto all the time whenever he wants him to do something that he doesn't want to do. And 
here we're now seeing him go from like this annoying like power hungry character to someone i empathize with or sympathize i don't know the the correct word yeah let's see empathize empathize um i can empathize with him and i want i'm like rooting for him right i went from not caring about him because he he wasn't a compelling character to rooting for him to you know to be the dad that he failed to be early on and i think him receiving the scar in season four was like the cherry on top for him to make that that character switch to say, look, I need to I need to fix all the things that I broke in the past. And you see those little nods, I think, in season four where he'll go visit his wife um, in whatever facility she's in. Mm-hmm. And um, here we we see just uh, more nods to that. So I I'm enjoying all of this Endeavor stuff, which is, again, why I really hope the second half of the season is dedicated or at least has a good focus on Endeavor and Todoroki's relationship. So the other two major plot points of this episode, um, or the second one is, you know, Hawks as this undercover double agent. I know like the cliffhanger of the first episode kind of throws us off because we were like, oh my God, is Hawks actually betraying the heroes? Yeah. But then we quickly learned that it, it's just all a ruse for him to, to get on their good side and to, I guess, destroy them from within. But that's all we get. Like... This is the only um, uh, reference to this this operation in this first half, because uh, as, as we said, the rest of it is just dedicated to the tournament arc. Yeah, I can't wait. Like I, I hate to say it, but like I'm glad the tournament arc is done. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I I don't regret watching it. It was fine. I enjoyed it, but I'm so ready to move on to some of these other things that they've been like teasing us with at the beginning of the season. Yeah, because like this is a big thing. I know the League of Villains, they have kind of been in hiding even in season four because that focused on again the Shie Hasaikai or the Yakuza org. Um, so they haven't really been making moves, but you know, I think this episode implies that they are planning something big in the future. And I can't imagine this ending well for Hawks if the League, I would say, inevitably finds out that he's acting as this double agent yeah something big will happen Todoroki does get a lot of dialogue in this episode and I do want to call out that I cannot unhear Aaron Yeager now that Todoroki is talking like Aaron Yeager so yeah um, especially with the final season yeah so like season four Aaron Yeager no spoilers or anything but he's a little more subdued and a little more moody and before Aaron Yeager was like very loud and very animated so he didn't sound like Todoroki because Todoroki is very moody and very subdued but now they both sound the same and I just can't unhear it every time he opens his mouth I'm like oh my god it's just Aaron Yeager (laughs) yeah I think the third plot point again that this is kind of glossed over um, although it's still mentioned throughout the tournament arc is Midoriya's dream from the season finale uh, which involved the vestiges of uh, one for all which I want to note, like, there's nine total. And I think in this dream, it implies, like, um, the creation of the quirk, although it focuses more on All for One, all for one and the, his relationship with his little brother, where he kind of just takes advantage of his powers or tries to imbue these powers to have, like, this hold over over the society of quirks, quirk users. Um, and... I don't know if this has been revealed yet, but my speculation is that the little brother is Shigaraki, right? But is he? Because one of the notes I had for episode three is like, how fucking old is All for One? Yeah. And I, I think somebody know. like said something in a later episode for the season that like he's really fucking old, isn't he? 
but the way that this dream sequence is framed, there was an earlier episode I remember from like season one or two where it it looks like the same shot of all for one with Shigaraki, and it ends with him laying his hand on his head. That's why I thought like unless Shigaraki's just another like like history is repeating itself. Like he's not literally his younger brother, but he's he's going through what his all uh one for all for one's little brother uh, went through many yeah, years ago because okay. i have to wonder too like how many years did all might have all for, okay i'm gonna get it backwards all the time one for all because mm-hmm. he received it when he was still a student um yeah which we learned in the first movie i believe um and then he traveled to the the united states and then came back to become like the you know the, the best hero ever and i'm just like that it had to be years and years he's an adult now yeah, that's where the timeline gets confusing because, again, this dream implies that, um, or this dream focuses, again, on all for one and how the one for all quirk came to be. Um, but if there were nine users of one for all. And they had it, each of them had it for like many years, I assume. Yeah, then, and if if my theory holds that this is supposed to be Shigaraki as the younger brother, then yeah, there's a weird timeline going on. But didn't they also reveal that Shigaraki is blood related to um All Might's sensei or his yeah. like predecessor? Yeah, feels like her nephew or something. Or her son or some shit. Like yeah. something really crazy. Like they dropped that bomb on us. So yeah, I, I'm not convinced that that's his younger brother. I think it's more history repeating itself and that he, Shigaraki's, I don't know, like maybe what all for one guys i, I keep yeah, getting back for to one. uh yeah all <laughs> <AFO>. for one <laughs> what, whatever his original plan is with his younger brother maybe that failed which is why mm. one for all was able to be passed down to others and used for good so maybe he's trying to repeat that same plan with shigaraki in the hopes that it actually comes to fruition whatever that plan is that is my theory we'll see okay. what happens that makes sense um the only other thing i had about this episode is did you know Itadori from Jujutsu Kaisen makes a cameo. Huh? <laughs> there was the there was a news report of a kid who was pointing out the Endeavor uh, fight against the Nomu, and it looks like uh, a younger Itadori because he has. Uh, oh, that hair. kid who yeah. like okay, he became, yeah. <laughs> like he, that kid. They call him the Look Boy kid. The Look Boy. And yeah, he became the meme um, that appeared on like the mugs and the merchandise in this episode, but. Like, I, I had to rewatch that scene just to remind myself of what happened. And I was like, yeah, that that's Yuji. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> In episode three, Clash, Class A versus Class B. Are you ready for a tournament arc? Because I sure ain't. Midoriya briefly discusses with All Might the vestiges that live on in One for All before Class 1A and 1B head to their joint training battle in the latest winter fashions. The classes are split up into five groups of 4v4 matches with wildcard Shinso Wosasagio from General Studies who seeks to join the hero course. Though the tide of the first match starts in favor of 1b, Shinso quickly reverses that with the help of his improved brainwashing quirk which allows him to mimic any voice via persona chords. I love the contrast in this episode between uh, Midoriya and All Might and their mentorship and then Shinso and Aizawa and their mentorship. I mean... Looks-wise, Shinso and Aizawa both look like they need way more sleep than they're actually getting. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's interesting. And I, I think that's, I, I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure this will be like a, a thing that happened, uh, a story piece that's explored further on in the show past season five. But we're kind of getting like those those introductory pieces around like 
how Midoriya and All Might, um, you know, handle their mentorship versus Aizawa and Shinso. It's just like, I, I think that Aizawa, and I think they alluded to that in this most recent episode, episode 12, that Aizawa sees a little bit of himself in Shinso. And that's why he's so compelled to help him and even gives him the same, what is his like neck wrap thing called? Like the binds or yeah, whatever. Yeah, his bindings or whatever. Um, He gives him that as well to give him a leg up in the hero course. Similar to how All Might sees a lot of himself in Midoriya, which is why he chose him over Mirio to give him um, one for all. And there also just seems to be a, a strong or implied, strong implied connection between um, Shinso's quirk and how Midoriya was able to see one for all's vestiges. Um, I don't know if they really explore that uh, in this arc. Like they always go back to it, like their initial tournament matchup. Yeah, like something Shinso did triggered Midoriya to be able to see the vestiges kind yeah. of being all creepy as fuck and like peering at him like some ghost or whatever in the doorway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we just get hints of that throughout this turn or like when we finally see the matchup in the fifth match, but nothing really of substance beyond that. Which is kind of disappointing, I will say, because mm-hmm. they, they keep, you know, harking on this point. And the only thing we get is Shinso brainwashing Midoriya to stop his quirk from, you know, running wild. And then that's it. So I'm like, okay, like, so then what? Like, what does this mean? I would like more, yeah. more of this. Because again, these are the pieces of the My Hero story that I'm more interested in than a tournament arc. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to note from this episode is I think in Midoriya's conversation with All Might, they ref- All Might um, kind of reflects on something called the quirk singularity doomsday theory, um, which is basically that the creation of newer quirks, um, they become more powerful with each generation to the point that they are uncontrollable. And I think there was a shot of Todoroki um, as they were going through this exposition, you know, implying that he is probably the product of this theory. But I think this was also just foreshadowing um, with Midoriya himself, just because of the way One for All is starting to become more unwieldy um, later in this arc, especially with the revelation that One for All also holds all the powers of the previous wielders within its quirk. In episode four, Make It Happen, Shinso, 1A still gets overpowered by 1B as Kirishima and Koda are captured, which leaves resident idiot Kaminari to act as a decoy, while Shinso Wosasageo uses his quirk to disrupt 1B's communication, and Froppy goes in for the kill. With 1A's first victory in the bag, Shinso contributes to the typical My Hero self-reflection trope and thinks about how far he has to go to become Aizawa's adopted son. Is this the episode where Froppy's ass is thick as fuck? Yeah, I think I had a note for that. <laughs> but yeah, that's, well, that's obvious fan service. I, okay, so I think there's a good um, part of the My Hero fandom. Like, a, There's a demographic that's younger kids. And I just find it so funny that they like have these moments of fan service. Because we get, we get that with um, Mina as well. Like We'll get some like ass or titty shots. And then there's that, there's that part in the later part of this um, first half of the season. Man, it's like a lot to say. Where I mean, it's a, like face slams into her tits and stuff. And I'm just like, man, I always think about that stuff. And it's, I'm sure as kids watching it, like that goes straight over their head. But I'm also just like, that's so funny that they put this in here. I think they're trying to cater to both like the younger audience that watches the show. But then they remember that there are some like older demographics that, that watch the show on, too. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
so this is their first year of high school. Yep. And I'm reading here that Japanese students start high school at age 15. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's, we'll, that's we'll leave it okay. at that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to comment any further. So anyway, Froppy's ass is thick. We learned that this episode. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't really have any other notes with this episode. Um, I thought the one interesting thing, again, with their being this fuck ton of 1B characters that I could care less about. I think the one interesting one was Vine. I think that was her name. Um, the one who looked like Poison Ivy's daughter or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> with all the, the vines in her hair. She had like all these religious-based attacks um, that were named after like Christian things like Via Dolorosa, which is like the, the way of the cross or whatever. And then Crucifixion. It's like, Wow. That's interesting. I do appreciate the character design. Now that we're learning more about Class 1B and like the the minor characters of Class 1A, I feel like they don't only have like a quirk that makes them stand apart. They like take that quirk and then build the character design around that. Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole persona that they're creating. And I, I enjoy that. I think that's nice. Um, and the fact that they take the time to do that with so many fucking minor characters is a bit impressive. Um, I think it's maybe sometimes unnecessary, but... I'm not knocking it, right? Like I think that's um, that's the one of the quality pieces of my hero that makes it such a um, such a popular anime. Yeah, like the again the character designs they differentiate all of them so well. Even though it's trying to keep track of all these characters is overwhelming. Similar to the the sports festival arc from season two, there are definitely some clever ways that we're seeing like each of these students overcome their enemies, but nothing's been mind blowing. But as I mentioned earlier, I feel like each match they focus on one or two, um, one or two specific characters that have gotten less screen time in these recent seasons. And in this match, it's Kaminati, or in this particular episode, it's Kaminati, and he really got to shine here, which is nice because up until this point, his he's been portrayed as stupid and not really great at controlling his quirk. But here, he uses it multiple times and doesn't have a brain fart. And we get to see how smart he can be in battle when he really kind of taps into his potential. So I enjoyed that because I, I really like his character. I think he's so funny and so endearing. And now I can never unhear um, if anyone listened to our Otaku Melancholy um, podcast or our feature on their podcast that he voices the main character of that. Um, sister Anna, maybe one. Yeah, but my sister, sister my writer. <laughs> I, I know I can't unhear it either. I'm trying to like push that in the far recesses of my mind. Mm-hmm. But yes, it, it'll always be Kaminati, but yeah. with a little flair of my sister, my writer. But yeah, he, he redeems himself, I guess, in this episode. Not that it needed any redeeming. In episode five, Operation New Improv Moves, Tokoyami spearheads match two for 1A when his dark shadow quirk is held hostage by 1B's Kuroiro who looks like he had one too many ink baths. Thus, the episode takes the opportunity to delve into Tokoyami's internship with Hawks, whose apathy towards the student motivates him to push his powers to the limit. Thus, Tokoyami debuts his new dark fallen angel power to establish air superiority, although shrooms, stop, although shrooms start popping up across the battle area. So one thing I'm noticing with this season is that we're getting more cross interactions that we haven't gotten before. So particularly, I noticed um, how Momo or Yaoyarozu, but I think some people call her Momo, I call her Momo, um, how she kind of comments on, or no, I'm sorry, Todoroki comments on Momo's 
approach to her enemies as he's you know watching her battle and it's nice because we haven't really seen them interact since they were paired up in one of the other i don't know tests that they did where they had to fight against some of the pro heroes so they were fighting against um eraser head mm-hmm. so they're revisiting some of these um these i don't know if you call them like relationships or like friendships um that were formed through these pairings from other tests that they they took so i think in bakugo's um when we get to that point there's something that Bakugo does and you get Uraraka commenting like on whatever it is that he did, which is a nod to the fact that the two of them fought in the sports festival arc in season two. So you don't get a lot of interaction between the two of them, but here it's like us a, a nice callback to like the fact that they fought each other. So there's kind of like this, not like a special bond, but there's like, you know, there's something that, that kind of develops between two characters when you're either paired up or fighting against each other. And we don't get to see these cross interactions very often because it's usually like the main three are always interacting with each other. And then you've got like other pockets of people that interact like um, Kaminari and Kirishima interact a lot together. But now that we're seeing them comment on some of the other students in the group, it's kind of cool because they don't feel as isolated and they actually feel like they are an actual group of friends. You don't think it was just fan service that told her okay? That too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a lot of, okay. <laughs> if you ever, uh, you know, visit the My Hero subreddit, you'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of ships there. I think there's actually a, a, a subreddit dedicated to ships in My Hero. I think I stumbled upon it one time. But anyway, I've heard that people ship Momo and Todoroki pretty hard, um, probably because of that fight with, against uh, Eraserhead. So I think that's part of it too. Maybe is, is that little nod to uh, the fandom that ships them. Yeah. And I think obviously the other highlight of this episode is like the focus on Tokoyami, which again, to your point with the previous episode is a character that we don't really get a lot of screen time with, but you know, here it's clear, like we're reminded that he had this um, tutelage under Hawks and it's just funny seeing Hawks be so apathetic to, to Tokoyami as an intern, but that, again is what motivates Tokuyami to spread his wings and fly basically yeah i love that we got the those flashbacks to his internship with with hawks i thought that was great because we didn't see a lot of that i think um i saw i think we saw more of it with some of the other internships maybe less with Tokoyami's, and so i i enjoyed it and it, it kind of gives us a, another side of hawks that we haven't seen before because he can be pretty i wouldn't say cold but like distant, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he just kind of does his own thing and, and he, you know, he's not ashamed of it. But here he's he's caring very much about somebody else. Maybe not outwardly, but like subtly he's caring about someone that he thinks has a lot of potential and could really shine with the proper mentorship. Yeah, I think what happens here is like Hawks knows that Tokoyami is capable of, you know, of using his powers or his quirk to its greatest potential because they think he says here, the ones who can fly should fly. There's no need to be confined to the ground. So I think it's to say like Hawks really doesn't need to teach uh, Tokoyami anything because Tokoyami has all the resources he needs. And that's how he was able to figure out how to properly use Dark Shadow because I think what happened to this episode? Like Dark Shadow couldn't really operate like in direct sunlight because he needs to stay um, in the dark. But he has uh, Tokuyami has a hood now, which allows him to again u- maximize his use of uh, dark shadow. 
Yeah, and this kind of makes me think, um, talking about internships to Bakugo and Best Genist, and I'm like, that's another one where we didn't get any like context around it other than those <laughs> funny moments where Best Genist made Bakugo like, comb his hair. And I think I saw, I think, I saw in one of the key visuals for the World Heroes Mission movie that there's a, a shot of like Bakugo with Best Genus or maybe like Best Genus is behind him. And I'm really hoping, similar to this, where we got more insight into Tokuyami's inter- internship with Hawks, that we get more insight into Bakugo's internship with Best Genus. And I hope we get that moment where like Best Genus actually does give him some like really good advice or helps him to like progress in his hero training because it's just such a weird relationship there because Bakugo fucking like hates best genist so mm-hmm. i think th- i I'd, I'd love to see something similar like that um for that mentorship yeah i pulled up a picture just to remind myself of what Bakugo looked like with the best genus here it's, it's so funny it's, uh, it's awful <laughs> um only other thing i want to point out with this episode is there's a star wars reference um, which I know one of my heroes like subtle references to pop culture is with its location names and they've always used locations um, from Star Wars. Uh, I think this one they mention the Cantina District. So ah. yeah, it's a nod to uh, the Cantina on Tatooine. So there you go. Um, well, nothing from me. I cannot unhear Reiner when I hear Toto, uh, Tokoyami speak. For those who don't know, Tokoyami and Reiner from uh, Attack on Titan have the same voice actor, and they sound the same. Oh, Tokoyami is a much brighter sounding version. Yeah, less, say. less depressed. Yeah. <laughs> In episode six, Foresight, those shrooms caught one a slacken as Toad's niece and a manga page from 1B team up with their quirks leading to Aoyama's capture. 1B's Kendo takes 1A's Momo head-on in whatever the female equivalent of a dick-slinging match is. A tit-slinging match? Oh, yeah. (laughs) As Momo manages to provide sport items for Togoyami and her team. The strategy is ultimately fruitless, however, as 1B wins match two, though Kendo feels it to be a hollow victory. I like that they acknowledge Momo's ability to think ahead in battle and that she still loses, right? Like, I, I mm-hmm. like that dynamic there um, because she still tried her best and she shines even though at ultimately that team loses. And, I mean, I forgot because, again, there's so many fucking characters and they don't revisit the the um, the minor characters too often. But I forgot how intelligent Momo is. There's a reason she's the class president. There's a reason that um, she's... Uh, one of the better performing students so here we get to kind of see that again and i think it is also again a callback to her um her being paired up with todoroki and fighting against Eraserhead because todoroki in that fight pushed momo to like take charge you know whatever your idea is let's do it because i'm sure that'll be the, the best idea for us to win and then they ultimately do so here even though she loses she's got a really great um idea to protect her her teammates and to help them get as close to winning as possible yeah, and I think that's where a play on the title comes in. Uh, again, the title of the episode is Foresight, whereas you think it's um, more credited towards Kendo and like anticipating what Momo's moves were going to be. But ultimately, it's credited to uh, Momo's strategy because, again, she has the foresight to be able to provide the right, again, support items for her team. Um, even though they ultimately lost this battle. 
I'm also not convinced that the mushroom girl is useful other than choking someone out with a, a mushroom in their throat like she did with Tokoyami. And mm. like I thought Mineta's quirk was useless. I saw this chick and I'm like, I don't get how growing mushrooms makes you a pro hero. Like, I'm sorry. There are some of these quirks. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand why these are, you know, acceptable quirks for a hero course. Now, granted, in this tournament arc, the second um, tournament arc, we're getting, you know, new moves for some of these um, these students that, you know, are, are still kind of growing with their powers. And Mineta is a good example when we get to his fight um, of him going from just sticking his little balls on shit to actually being very useful and finding ways to um, to maximize the potential of his... Are they balls? Are they grapes? I don't know what they are. They're just sticky substances. Sticky, sticky balls. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Maybe we, I mean, this is the first time we're seeing this mushroom girl, so maybe there's more to her that we just haven't seen. But yeah, I just found her to be incredibly useless, um, for, for this fight. Yeah, I would see her more as like a, I don't consider her as part of the hero course, maybe a, like the support course. Yeah, like but, maybe support. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, you know, there are so many Pokemon now that their powers are just reaching, and I feel like that's what happened here with, with Mushroom Girl, like. I don't know. It's just a weird quirk. <laughs> in episode seven, match three, in the lead up to the third match, Midoriya discusses his weird dream with Bakugo, and Tokoyami reminds Todoroki of how their work represents that of their mentors, who are coincidentally the top two heroes in Japan. Speaking of which, Endeavor waits to hear back from his son about teaching him his signature move, although Todoroki prefers to keep him on red. As match three begins, one B's shiny-teethed mud man dismantles one A's strategy focused on Todoroki until Ida reveals his new ability, Recipro Turbo, passed down from his brother and former bearer of the title in Genium. This, I think, was a, a one of the better episodes of this tournament arc um, because things were finally getting inter- interesting, and it's not because one of the main three was in a battle, which I think in this episode was Todoroki, um, but because we're getting more story building with stuff I care about. Again, like One for All and Endeavor. I I enjoyed this episode a lot, um, particularly the scene with Bakugo and Midoriya, because this was Bakugo's first real moment this season, and it was a great moment. Like right off the bat, we're getting confirmation of his continued character development and relationship development with his rival and his childhood friend Midoriya. Um, And as All Might says in this moment, like Bakugo shows Midoriya support in his own way, even if it's Mm -hmm. aggressive and crass. Um, But I think Bakugo approaching Midoriya and All Might when they're having like their secret conversation shows us that he's taking this secret that he's privy to very seriously and also wants to be there to support Midoriya, even if he'll never come out and say that directly. Like Bakugo could have just watched, um, watched them from like across the room and ha- watched them have their secret meeting and kept to himself. But he actually did make his way over there because he's trying to remind them, like, hey, I know you have your thing because you know your mentor mentee and you passed one for all down to to Midoriya. But like, I'm still here and I want to help, even if I won't come out and say it. So I really like this moment. Plus, Bakugo's my favorite character, so seeing him in these these um, more. Not sentimental, but like, you know, in a moment that's not just him blowing shit up and fighting. Like, I really enjoy that stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say like he he is a little bit more pragmatic than he used to be. A little bit more. <laughs> Although, yeah, his, his personality still comes out strongly, even in these intimate moments. 
But that's the thing. So there, I'll just say this really quick. And again, maybe I'm biased because I love Bakugo. But people comment, you know, saying like, I don't get the appeal of his character. He's just an asshole. But I wouldn't want him to not be an asshole, right? Because that's his character. That's his personality. Yeah. That would be like Midoriya getting really fucking pissed off at someone and like just like tearing into them, right? That's not Midoriya's way. Even though you may have like a moment where Midoriya gets put in a really stressful situation. Maybe he's really upset at somebody. He still wouldn't like shout at them or yell at them or whatever that's not his character so Mm -hmm. if you were to i get bakugos having character development and character growth um and we're definitely seeing that like they're not trying to be subtle about it they're very very blatant about his his development but they're also not going to change him right like that's that's bakugo you wouldn't expect todoroki to suddenly start like singing and dancing and being all like happy-go-lucky because he's a very moody character so you wouldn't expect bakugo to suddenly be like super nice and kind to somebody so I, I get it's annoying to some people, but like if that's the character and that's who we've come to love, then I wouldn't want such a drastic change. Yeah. But anyway, um, I enjoyed that moment. I also enjoyed uh, the moment with Endeavor mustering the courage to text Todoroki <laughs> and like texting him over and over again was honestly really cute. Like that was a great dad moment. And it's funny when he thinks that Todoroki's ignoring him, but it's really he's just in class and doesn't have his cell phone on yeah. him. <laughs> I just love that so much. I thought it was a, a great little like extra scene that we got. He's trying to make up for lost time. That's, <laughs> that's all it is. Um. And as there was a Star Wars reference in a previous episode this season, did you know there was a JoJo reference in this episode? Do tell. Um, I believe Tetsu Tetsu, um, who is Kirishima's counterpart um, with the metal quirk, he exclaims Ora um, at some point in his fight. I forgot if it was with, I think it was with Todoroki. Yeah, and you know, for for a JoJo fan, that's immediately a JoJo reference, yeah, so. even if it's not literally one. It's for us a yeah. JoJo reference. And, yeah, we just had to call it out. I think at one point we get like, uh, I think it's when, when Endeavor is like texting Todoroki, or maybe it was a flashback. I don't know. At some point, we get like a couple of kids um, showing up near Endeavor, and like there was this big Twitter thing after this episode premiered. Because one of the kids looks like he could be Cementos's child. Like, he looks identical <laughs> to Cementos. And they're like, is this, like, his secret love child or something? I don't know. Maybe he's got a family, okay? Like, maybe maybe he actually does have a kid. But, yeah, people were, were noting that one of those very, very minor background characters looked like baby Cementos. I mean, the teachers are normal. They're not humans, but they're, they're <laughs> normal people well like, technically they are humans they have quirks like oh, yeah, maybe he's just true. a human with a quirk where he looks like a fucking brick i don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> it is kind of weird though like to call him human yeah but you know like with our real teachers who we only imagine uh, in a school setting like they have they probably have families like, <laughs> which is it's... weird when you see teachers outside of school mm. and you're like ew what are you doing here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's yeah that's the same case here I do want to call out the animation quality by this point in the season. Um, I feel like they were clearly saving all of their budget for the main three's fights because up until this point, everything just seems subpar. Like, it's not bad animation. Don't get me wrong. Everything looks clean. Everything looks nice. It just doesn't look as clean or as nice as, like, I don't know, My Hero normally does. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think after seeing this whole half of the season, I really do think they saved a lot of the budget for those main three fights, particularly like what I call out is, um, Todoroki's match. Um, not him specifically, but Ida, when he goes up against the guy who makes things like, you know, 
he turns solids to liquids. That yeah. was such a cool scene. Like Ida, like zooming around. That was very well done. But then when I saw it, I was like, okay, that's where the budget went because everything else looks meh at best. Even the mm-hmm. opening, the OP looks very meh sometimes. Um, so I think that kind of that kind of answered my question when we got to that point. Yeah, I would say like this episode um, and following ones, you see lots more like Sakuga. Um, yeah compared to the earlier ones but i think yeah it's because they wanted to save it for the or for one a's big three i guess in episode eight match three conclusion todoroki and tetsutetsu engage in a battle of attrition leaving todoroki no choice but to use his father's signature move which he apparently already knew mudman and ida are caught in the chaos knocking all four combatants unconscious and leaving match three in a draw. Recovery Girl attends to the students, who in typical My Hero fashion affirm their commitment to improving, while Bakugo prepares to leave Midoriya in the dust with the start of match four. When we got to episode eight, I was like, this is a good episode. Could this be where the season finally picks up? And I, I'm no surprise. It's when a big three is is fighting. One of the main three is fighting because that's that's where all the excitement really lies. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed this one. And as I mentioned with the previous episode, I I loved the increase in animation quality by this point. Um, again, specifically that that moment between Mudman and Ida, it was very well done. Mm-hmm. And um, especially to Todoroki going up against Tetsu Tetsu, that was visually stunning as well when he just has all the fire. So I, I thought this was such a great episode. I also found an interesting, you know, an interesting reminder that Todoroki doesn't do melee or hand-to-hand combat. So he's at a disadvantage against Tetsu Tetsu, who's, like, laying into him at close range. Like, have you ever seen Todoroki, like, kick someone? No, he doesn't do that shit. He just <laughs> burns and, and freezes. Which, you know, Endeavor is buff as hell. Yeah. Like, you'd think <laughs> when he was torturing this kid, he would take him to the gym. But apparently that was... Put some muscle mass on him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously I think Todoroki was the focus of this episode. Um, and we get more character development with him where he's still learning not to live in his father's shadow, which is why he's so apprehensive about using the fire quirk. But he's reminded of what Midoriya says during their, they faced off against each other in the first tournament arc, right? Yeah. And Midoriya encourages um, Todoroki to use his power and says, it's your power, isn't it? And Todoroki has that flashback, which allows him to, you know, still embrace the fiery side of his quirk um, as a part of him as well to kind of make, like forge his own path. And that's kind of what helps him. Although I know this match ends in a draw, but kind of helps him in his defense against Tetsu Tetsu. Um, I was kind of annoyed that it was a draw, but then I thought about it more and I felt like Todoroki really kind of needs a push to own his power to your point and stop being resentful of his dad. And I think this is what does the trick, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's able to overcome Tetsu Tetsu to a certain degree, but ultimately they lose because he's so unfamiliar with like how to use his fire as well as his ice side. Um, and it's just nice to see one of the main three, like not win because as we see later, the other two do win. Yeah. I guess at first I was a little bit annoyed with this episode with that regard, because we've seen Todoroki go through this struggle before. Like that's like, we see it when it goes, it flashes back to his match against Midoriya in the tournament arc. But listening now to what you've said, this is again, just reestablishing that Todoroki has a long ways to go. 
um, in learning how to properly use the fire side of his quirk. In episode 9, Early Bird, Bakugo obliterates 1B in 5 minutes. That's it. That's the summary. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you need? I just like how, you know, you have two or three episodes dedicated to the previous matches. Bakugo just needs one episode. He needs half an episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally five minutes. Yeah, okay, so like I, again, I love Bakugo, so I was so hyped for this episode, and I loved everything about it, um, but I do have like a love-hate relationship with it. So I think that it makes sense, based on uh, Bakugo's skill level and combat ability, that he flew through that match in five minutes. But the reason I call it a love-hate relationship is because, while it makes sense that Bakugo's team could do that, I'm also like, I want to see more of Bakugo. I want him to have more screen time, at least somewhat the same screen time as Todoroki and Midoriya. Um, even the minor characters of 1A got more screen time. And that kind of frustrates me. And like, I know he's gotten like plenty of arcs dedicated to him. But like, I'm, I'm here for Bakugo, man. I want to see my, my boy shine. Shine, okay? <laughs> shine, shine, yeah. <laughs> but really, I think that Todoroki will be kind of that secondary focus this season. I feel like... Every season, it's always, obviously, it's always Midoriya, but then there's always one of the other two of the main three that gets the focus. So, like, when Bakugo got kidnapped by the League of Villains, Todoroki kind of took a backseat during that arc. And so now with, again, I keep predicting that Endeavor will be the focus of the second half of the season. So then my, my what I imagine is that Bakugo will probably take a backseat this season for Todoroki as it's already unfolding based on the fact that Todoroki got two episodes dedicated to his fight and Bakugo got half an episode. But I loved everything about it. And I really enjoyed how everyone assumed Bakugo didn't care because of his personality, but then he proved that he's changed, even if his demeanor remains the same. Again, he's still going to be that brash, loud mouth, um, but it's what's inside that counts. And this is what I was you know, mentioning earlier, that this show doesn't try to be subtle with Bakugo's development. You even have characters literally saying oh my gosh Bakugo's grown and changed so much and I love that like I just he's similar to Endeavor I feel like he's a character that like you fucking hate when you first start watching the show because he's like rude and annoying and bullies Midoriya and then as you see him progress and you see him start to accept Midoriya and then go from accepting Midoriya to wanting to help Midoriya you can't help but you know root for him at least on a, on some level right yeah and I guess to your earlier point um, about, you know, Bakugo still having his brash personality, just the way that he interacts with his team here, like it, it still comes across as very strong, but it's clear that, you know, he's still at, to some extent, strategizing with them and reminding them, like, if you need help, like, I'll, I will be there. Yeah, this whole episode, I feel like, was Horikoshi's big, like, I wouldn't say like a big fuck you to the anti-Bakugo people, but it's more like a, you know, just chill out, wait and see kind of thing. Because the way they laid out this episode was Bakugo just calling judo ears and like just having all these nicknames and saying like, stay out of my way. And then the fight starts, right? But then you get the flashback to the rest of their, their prep conversation where Bakugo then reveals like, I will protect you guys and you guys will protect me and we'll, we, we've got each other's backs. So it's like, you know, people are very quick to judge Bakugo. But this episode is literally telling you, you just need to understand him a little bit better and give him a chance. And then you'll see 
the development that he's had. And again, I could sit here all day long and defend the shit out of Bakugo, but at the end of the day, like, I know people have strong feelings about his character. I'm just glad that he had an episode like this. And I also do want to call out um, with him, you know, calling Jiro ears and all that stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if down the road after this fight, he actually starts to say or call them by their real names. Because I think that when when he starts to respect someone and acknowledges their strength, because he's the type of character who reacts to strength, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't like Midoriya because he felt that he was weak and annoying, but he loves All Might because All Might's the greatest hero in the world. So he respects strength and abilities. And I feel like maybe down the road after he's fought with his team and they all coordinated so well and they trusted him, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts to call them by their real names at some point. Not immediately, but at some point. And the reason I say this is because I think there are only two characters that he actually calls by their their names. And one is All Might. The other is Uraraka. And I think Uraraka is because after he went up against her in the Season 2 tournament arc, he fully respected her coming out of that fight. Um, he even has that that small comment he makes to, was it Kirishima or Kaminati? Where they said, like, you know, you're, you're, you were too tough on her. She's just a girl. Or she's just a fragile girl. And he responds saying something like, what about her was fragile? Mm. So he has that respect for her. And then in a later episode, he calls her Uraraka. Even though at the start of that fight, he didn't even know what her name was. <laughs> he was just like, oh, you're the chick that makes stuff float, right? <laughs> um, he calls her Cheeks, I think. Because she's like, she's she's a, a little... She's a little thicker, She's a little you know. Cheeky, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, anyway, long story short, I I could see as another part of his development, him starting to acknowledge or respect his classmates, um, seeing their potential by starting to call them by their names. But he still doesn't speak to anybody with respect, even All Might, <laughs> even fucking All Might. He doesn't speak to him with respect. <laughs> I like how as short as my summary was about this episode you could probably write a whole research paper hell yeah on, on I'm, i i know apology bakugo. here okay i fucking mm-hmm. love bakugo <laughs> yeah <laughs> in episode 10 that which is inherited outside of the tournament all for one here's his younger brother while in confinement and all might shows concern after gran torino tells him of a prophecy regarding one for all not yet coming to fruition during match 5, 1B's cocky Williams Monoma provokes Midoriya to attack him by blaming Bakugo for All Might's demise. Midoriya unleashes a strange attack that goes batshit crazy, prompting Uraraka to restrain him and Shinso Wosasagio to brainwash him for the power to subside. Midoriya enters a dreamlike state where he meets a previous wielder of One for All and the mysterious power Black Whip. The wielder explains that One for All is getting OP as fuck, causing the previous wielder's quirks to manifest. Midoriya comes back to senses and joins Uraraka back in the fight, which has become a Super Smash Brothers brawl. And finally, we get a scene here outside of the tournament arc, um, seeing All for One back in prison, but it's a very fleeting moment. Yeah, I wrote this was a really good episode because we finally get major plot progression, um, which I think is more around one for all. Um, So yeah, we we find out that Midoriya will complete it, whatever the fuck that means, and that he can use quirks of past vestiges, whatever that means, um, and that his quirk freaks out when he gets pissed because it reacts to how his heart is or some shit. I don't know. I don't get all of it just yet, but uh, it's interesting. I want to learn more about it. Yeah, we just get a taste of, I guess, One for All's potential in this episode. Although the exposition that was thrown together by 
whoever that wielder was. I don't think we got a name for him yet. Um, it was just very quick. Um, I did want to note that he mentions six more quirks will manifest in Midoriya um, before the dream sequence ends. But I think I mentioned earlier, there are nine wielders of One for All so far. And so that means that includes Midoriya. So there's eight vestiges in total that wielded One for All before Midoriya. So why is there only six quirks? Did the original owner have a quirk? I don't think he did, right? Mm, isn't that okay. why his? Isn't that why um, All for One gave him One for All? Maybe. I, yeah, maybe. Uh, the math didn't and, add up. Um, unless yeah. I guess All Might, you know, his signature smash move is something that, that he Midori, already has. Or like Midoriya has been using. So I don't know if that counts as the like the second quirk that Midoriya has used with All or. or now I'm uh-huh. now that Midoriya has used with one for all. Um, Midoriya is going from having no quirks to having the most quirks. Yeah. Not yet of, anyway, but he will. Kind of like he's collecting all his infinity stones now. I really appreciated that the the moment that they chose to have, what is the crazy guy's name? The one who always laughs and shit. Monoma. I feel like he's Monoma. become more of an annoying character than Bakugo is. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like that they, they could have chosen many different moments for um, Monoma to, to use against Midoriya to piss him off. But the fact that they chose that moment where Bakugo thought that he was the reason that All Might um, you know, lost his, his powers... That was a smart choice because Midoriya is the only person that knows how devastated Bakugo was when he thought that and how much it impacted him. So I can see why that is the the one insult that would get Midoriya's reaction, you know, get him to have a visceral reaction that would then unleash that new quirk that he had. How did Manoma know, though? I don't... So I think everyone thought... I mean, it was televised, right? The uh, fight and, like, oh, Bak- yeah, 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 Bakugo yeah. was the one that's... that was captured. So I mm-hmm. think that... And that's part of Bakugo's struggle through that arc is, like, he's so embarrassed, right? Everyone seemingly thinks that he's the one that ruined all, or ended All Might. And that's a lot of weight to carry. I mean, the voice acting that his voice actor did in, in that, that fight between him and Midoriya was, like, so good. Like, it expressed Bakugo's pain really, really well. Mm-hmm. So, again, that that's why I'm like, that's the perfect moment for them to have chosen Monoma to, to whip at Midoriya in that fight. Damn, just makes him more of a jerk. Yeah, jackass. seriously. Like, <laughs> like, I know, like, he's he's kind of been, like, the, the semi-narrator throughout this whole tournament arc by commenting on all these fights and hyping up 1B. But at this point, it just got to be a little too much. We do get a hint of Uraraka's backstory, um, just a, a smidge of it. And she says something interesting. Um, she asks, who helps the heroes when they're in need or when they're struggling? And I'm like, that's a good fucking question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a really good question, Uraraka. Um, and the whole moment of her trying to help Midoriya, um, I thought was, was great. Fan service. That, yeah, and that's also fan service because, you know, that's like the number one ship in My Hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. In episode 11, our brawl, our brawl, I'm thinking to the Bugs Bunny oh, Our brawl. <laughs> Eraserhead allows match five to continue despite the shit show that it has become. Williams Monoma tries to replicate one for all using his copy quirk, but to no avail, and Midoriya has his rematch with Shinzo Wososagio, utilizing his new black whippet real good power. 1A claims victory over 1B in the final match, though it really doesn't fucking matter at this point, and Shinzo gets a definite we'll keep your resume on file grade in his possible transfer to the hero course. 
the tournament arc has ended. Finally. <laughs> Midoriya beat Shinso and Class A won. Surprise fucking surprise. Although, what was it? 1A, before this, the record was two wins to 1A, one to 1B, and then the draw. So they would have won either way. This was kind of just a, a throwaway or exhibition match. Yeah. Although yeah, and... It, it's the most dramatic one with um one for or with Midoriya's black whip power getting out of control. Yeah. So he's able to control his new power for a hot second when Shinso does that thing with the pipes. And then he realizes he can't control it until he masters using one for all. And then it like stops like the cork just stops. So like I just I don't know. To me, I felt slightly annoyed by that because I'm like, you made a big fucking deal in the previous episode that he like this is an unwieldy quirk and even though the guy told him like oh you need to control your heart to be able to control this quirk Midoriya somehow can use it for a hot second when he just discovered it like two minutes beforehand and that's Mm -hmm. one of those anime tropes where it's like the main character is so op that they can just do whatever and it's like accepted and part of me kind of eye rolled at that um I'm glad that they, they made it short and that the, the quirk, you know, disappeared pretty quickly. But I was kind of like, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, and again, this harkens back to what I said earlier where you're not sure if Midoriya has to go all out with using one for all or if, again, he needs to limit himself. Um, because, again, here he isn't able to use Black Whip to its fullest potential because he's limiting the power. So, like, what is it? Does he have to actually go the full 100 percent or 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 what like i don't know yeah it's it's a very conflicting power at this point and who knows if it will be cleared up with the second half the only other takeaway from this episode is that mineta gets to smash his face into mina's tit mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets his own fan service. yeah he does he he's a happy boy at that point <laughs> And in the final episode for our part one discussion, episode 12, or episode 100 overall, the new power and all for one, turns out the UA staff plan to send Shinso to the hero course in the second year, which is probably 12 seasons from now based on how things are moving. Later that evening, Midoriya and Bakugo train under All Might's oversight, intending to learn more about One for All's hidden powers, which Bakugo believes may have come directly from All for One. The next day, Aizawa lists Williams Monoma's help in re- replicating Aerie's quirk in order to train her on how to use it, but is unable to do so as it is similar to Midoriya's quirk in that it requires energy to activate, though she is encouraged by Midoriya to go beyond plus ultra in her training. Lastly, Bakugo and Todoroki finally earn their hero provisional licenses and celebrate by making quick work of a couple of guys up to no good that's starting making trouble in the neighborhood. This has got to be my favorite episode of the first half of the season. Um, I really enjoy, as I mentioned earlier, any time that we get to see Class 1A or anyone really in the show, just in like regular everyday activities, um, because it's not often that it happens. So it's fun just to see them hanging out in the dorms, right? Yeah, because they're, um, they're high school students at the very base of it. Yeah, so I, I loved that. Um, plus, we got, again, plot progression. Like anytime I feel like it's a good episode, it's usually an episode that has plot progression. So that was great. Um, and Bakugo was great in this episode. I won't dive into it like I did earlier. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. If you know me, you know I'm a big fan of Sundade, male Sundade characters, so gotta love Bakugo. But I think he's just so unintentionally funny at this point. Like, he's just become 
this very humorous character, particularly that line <laughs> during that, that end fight where he says, if you want to commit suicide, do it somewhere else. <laughs> I was like, what he the fuck? He says that to All Might, right? <laughs> no, he says it to oh, the woman because she's like a dumbass on her phone <laughs> yeah. trying to record it. And then poor All Might has to try and save her ass. Mm-hmm. And then Bakugo kicks the uh, the lamppost or whatever it was, kicks yeah. it out of, out of their way. So that was, that was a great line from Bakugo. I also love that he is playing an active part in Midoriya's journey to master one for all. Um, here we see him training with him and then even being invited to his like secret meetings with All Might. So he's not only useful to train with because we know he's good in battle, but this is a nice reminder that Bakugo is actually pretty intelligent because we see his intelligence in the classroom. I think he's usually one of the highest ranking students in terms of his grades, right? Is he? I I think so. I, I thought he was the opposite. No, <laughs> I think I think he's I think he's higher up there because I think mm. there there's been moments where he'll like rub in Midoriya's face that he got a better grade than him. I don't know if we're wrong, please let us know. But I I thought that that was the case. But anyway, um, so here his intelligence kind of shines again because he's helping Midoriya and All Might trying to understand what's going on with One for All. But the only thing I the only question I had about this conversation is why doesn't Midoriya realize what triggered the new quirk to activate? Because we all saw it, right? Like it was him getting pissed off and having like a visceral reaction to Monoma commenting about Bakugo being the one to end All Might. And that set it, that set the quirk off. And then we got confirmation of that from the previous wielder who told Midoriya, this quirk reacts to your heart. It reacts to like your emotions so it's, I thought it was pretty obvious that Midoriya getting actually pissed off is what set the quirk off. But then he's saying that he doesn't even know what set it off. And I think also in the previous episode, um, the the previous wielder mentions that this or his power activated because it responds to someone's need to capture someone which I think was Midori's intention with Monoma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's weird that they just, he kind of glosses over that or just had a a Rocky forgot moment. Yeah, because but... usually Midori is pretty good about picking up on those things. Like he's yeah, very- Yeah, he's a fucking notebook of all his <laughs> notes on these things. He's very uh, attentive to to quirks in general. So yeah, I, I thought that was weird. I mean, maybe, maybe that isn't the reason it activated. So that's why he said he wasn't sure, but I thought they were trying to make it pretty clear that that's why. Yeah, I don't know. Bakugo and Todoroki finally get their provisional licenses, which I completely forgot. I completely forgot was a thing because they haven't told us about it all season. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They're the only ones that don't have it yet. So that's nice that they got those licenses. And so is that why All Might just took them out on duty right away? No, I think they were driving back. I think they were driving back from the the facility wherever they were doing the test. Um, That was my assumption anyways. Mm -hmm. All Might was, was driving them. So I was going to say, like, okay, that's a great way to celebrate that you just got your license. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, going right out into the field. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I think he, they, or Todoroki debuts, like, a, a new power uh, flash freeze heat wave, which is kind of a combination of his ice and his fire quirks that he uses against, I don't even think the tsunami villain guy was Has given a name. A name. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that was a visual spectacle to behold i enjoyed this fight like it was short and i think it the the only purpose it served was just to have um bakugo and todoroki have their first official fight as like licensed students or whatever the fuck you want to call them Mm -hmm. um but i enjoyed i think it was great 
And it reminds us that Midoriya has some steep competition to overcome in order to become the, the number one hero, which he confirms already that he will become the yeah. number one hero. But it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot that he needs to, there's a level he needs to reach to be at the same level of Bakugo and, and Todoroki. I, um, I really liked that one part where All Might runs out and he's trying to like escort the the civilians away from the fight and the one guy just looks at me he's like oh my god it's all mine <laughs> <laughs> like all might's trying to do his job and the guy's just like so like starstruck <laughs> yeah it's a realistic response from a crowd that you're trying to control yeah that and the bitch on her phone like mm-hmm. not paying attention <laughs> and then you have the random hero that just comes in his Who name looks is like sliding Mineta. <laughs> his face like the way his face is drawn looks like Manetha. I was gonna say like he looks like Jay Leno with a really long cleft but... or like the crimson chin from yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although from Fairly Odd Parents yeah this guy's name is Slide and Go but he just shows up and he's like thanks for taking care of this I'll I'll take it from here yeah like very random one more Bakugo call out I will say it was nice that he played more of a support role in this fight because um, Todoroki I think took the main stage like he he went up against the, the big baddie um, but Bakugo focused more on the henchmen saving All Might and that stupid chick and then collecting the stolen belongings. So it was cool that he he did play that support role and didn't complain about it either. He just said, like, he did his thing and we're all good. Yeah, character development. Character development yeah. for Bakugo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised, though, you haven't mentioned uh, Mirio's cameo in this episode. Oh, yeah, my boy Mirio's with, back. Yeah, Eddie Chan, <laughs> and she's writing thank you letters to both him and Midoriya. I was like, well, he's right there. <laughs> he just look over your shoulder and read it, which is probably what he was doing. <laughs> mm. And I think Eri-chan has gotten the most dialogue in this episode than she ever did, like, all of season four. Yeah. Yeah, I hope mm. we get more of that, too, like her and, and Mirio in the second half. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not a lot about it. I'm sure they're saving, like, another big arc for Eri, like, in another season. But it's nice to have these reminders that they're still hanging out at UA. Yeah. And she's all beaming and smiling now, which is a nice change of pace. Happy little Eddie-chan. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to our final thoughts for My Hero Academia Season 5, Part 1. What did you think overall about this first half? Um, Tournament arc, unnecessary. I get it. It was nice to see some of the characters who haven't gotten screen time finally have a moment to shine. Um, but I didn't need it. Because I got way more excited anytime we saw Endeavor or Hawks or Mirio, anything more like mainstream plot points. That's that's what I'm here for. Um, I don't regret it, but it probably won't live to be one of the best parts of, of my hero for me. So mm-hmm. it's fine. That's it. It's fine. What about you? <laughs> yeah, same sentiments. It was a good, but I would say slightly stale first half just because yeah, it's it feels like a filler of a tournament arc. And I think at this point, it feels like my hero's running through the same common themes. Although I know like these are strong themes of the show, like reflecting on becoming a hero, how far these students have come in their journeys, the students motivating and empowering each other, and Midoriya having no clue what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get more reiterations of that, which is nice. But again, um, I think they just have to come up with a a newer approach to those themes. And... We commented on this before. I think they should have balanced the tournament arc with a little bit more of the plot progression, especially with whatever Hawks is planning to do in his double agent role with the League of Villains 
or even with all of those little snippets of you know one for all starting to act up a bit more and hopefully the second half will offer more watershed moments kind of like all might's final fight or endeavor's first major fight as the number one hero just so we can fully move forward in the plot but thinking high level it just makes me wonder if these first five seasons again have taken place within the first school year how many more seasons are we going to get until we find out how i met your midoriya (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah going into the second half you're eager to learn more about the mysteries behind one for all its possible connection with shigaraki and i guess to an extent um how shinso is involved with with these mysteries but please for the love of god no more filler tournament arcs you bring up a good point though i will say this that like i think that's part of the reason why season five so far and like part of season four like haven't haven't hit me the same way the first two seasons have and it's because there is kind of like that like it just feels like we're beating a dead horse at this point for those points that you called out midoriya not knowing what's going on the power of friendship, all that the bullshit and stuff. <laughs> and I, I want more of like the interesting things. And what I mean by interesting, I think back to Bakugo getting kidnapped by the League of Villains and them not wanting to kill him or use him for ransom, but them trying to convince this crazy kid that he should be a villain. That's a cool concept. Mm-hmm. Or Todoroki hating his dad, who's the number two hero, right? Like you think that he would idolize his dad and want to live up to him and he, oh, he's my my um he's my quote-unquote hero and yeah. i want to be just like him no like Todoro- Todoroki fucking hates his dad that's a cool concept i want to explore that more um or mirio being one of the highest potential you know students for um across like highest potential in terms of like becoming a pro hero he loses his quirk that's a cool concept i want to explore that more and i think like that's part of the reason why this tournament arc just feels kind of like a drag is because I get it. We already knew Shinso was going to fucking make it into the hero course, right? We already mm-hmm. knew that, like, most of these... We already knew Class 1A was going to win, right? Even if they lost or draw, drew? Draw? Had a draw? Yeah, had a <laughs> With draw. With some of the fights and stuff, right? Like, we can call these things from a mile away. I don't want to spend half a season just to get confirmation of that. Yeah. Although, I think we forgot to mention... Um, we I, I feel like we'll get more of Endeavor and his relationship with Todoroki in the second half. Um, I forgot to comment in the in episode 12, the last episode, that Todoroki texts his dad back. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. And time. he was so happy. <laughs> like, while he's, he's like, choking out, like, a, a bad guy, and mm-hmm. the bad guy's, like, tapping his hand, like, can you let me down yeah. now? <laughs> that was fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so no pun intended here, but I'm sure that's, like, it's a rekindling of their relationship. And, well, you know, hopefully that we, we get more of that with the second half um again so so that we get a little bit more plot progression but- yeah and i think we'll probably talk about this more in our part two review of season five but i am you know asking the question already at what point in the timeline does the new world heroes mission movie take place mm-hmm. and i'm guessing it's probably I'm going to bet it's right after season five, because if we're correct that the second half of the season will focus on Todoroki and Endeavor, I imagine then that it would lead into the main three working for Endeavor for whatever this mission is. Um, unlike the previous, the second movie, Heroes Rising, which I think actually takes place far yeah, forward in the, the timeline. Yeah. I would imagine here that like this is going to be a pretty quick like 
move right into the world heroes mission and if that's the case please for the love of god make it a canon movie okay like mm-hmm. I, i'm tired of non-canon movies let's make this bad boy canon okay you know, like, yeah right after the climax is like oh this was all just a dream <laughs> oh my god i'll be so i'll never see another my hero movie again if they mm-hmm. do that. um but you know as much as we, we talk about you know moving the plot forward i'm pretty sure episode 13 is going to be a filler christmas episode oh yeah that's true but i do love christmas episodes yeah. which is weird because like it's it's june right now so we're gonna get christmas in june yeah. um and i'm sure that wasn't like the the show's intent <laughs> but yeah i guess they, they have to check off the the staple anime episodes they've already got the bunkasai episode they need to mm-hmm. have the christmas episode and then we're gonna get the new the new year's episode and we'll probably get the valentine's day episode and then we're probably gonna get the white day episode and then i imagine somewhere down the line we're gonna get a beach episode i know some people claim that the pool episode from god i don't even know what, it was what season last, it was the last season premiere wasn't it the pool episode was it Pretty sure. Oh, someone. But they were me. doing like the swimming contest or whatever. Like all the guys wanted to race each other. Um, I thought it was. I could be wrong. Someone. I thought it was weird. Either way, whenever it was, like some people say, like, "Oh, that's the beach episode." I'm like, "That's yeah. not a proper beach episode. You can't count that." Um, so I imagine at some point we'll get a proper beach episode. Yeah, but yeah, going into the second half, we'll start off with Christmas, um, which will be a nice reminder of. We're, what we'll be celebrating six months from here. <laughs> and that wraps up episode 39 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.